Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The gospel of the Lord. I'm muted. There we go. Come on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I love that. Am I on? No, I didn't turn myself on. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I love Snick Snacks. <laughs> whatever, whatever that is. <laughs> bring, bring a bunch of those to, to this fun time. Uh, hey, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and it's great to be with you. It's good to see you um, as, we, as we continue in this series, A Gospel Movement. And if you're a guest with us, as Cody just said, thanks so much for being here. Um, it really does mean a lot to us. We want you to feel right at home, and you've, you've chosen an awesome time to come join us as we're seeking God and what he has for us during this season. Now, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable with you this morning. I've shared this with some of you, but now I'm going to share with all of you. Um, when I was in high school, along with basketball and golf, I ran track. I really enjoyed running distance. And so along with uh, running track at school, I participated in, I grew up in the city of Columbia in Missouri. And that's all I'm going to say about Missouri today. Because I know that it might be a sore spot for um, some Gamecocks in here. Um, but uh, I joined the Columbia Track Club and I ran with a guy that went to our church. He was a little bit older than me, kind of a mentor. And we would run on these Saturday events. And uh, one came up, it was this 12-mile run, and I thought, well, this is going to be great, no big deal. We run 5Ks, run 10Ks, 12 miles, it's fine. I'm in good shape, I run every day. And so I was like, this is fantastic. It's called the Cheese and Sauerkraut Run. And let me explain just real quickly, here's why. Uh, before you run, you had to guess your time. You had to guess, okay, here's, here's how long it's going to take me to do this run. And no matter what your time was, if you guessed the closest to your time, you got this big wheel of cheese, Right? If you guessed your time and you were the furthest away, you got this giant jar of sauerkraut. Now, spoiler alert, I'll just tell you right off the bat, I got the jar of sauerkraut that day, and here's what happened. Um, we took off, and I felt like I was doing great um, toward the head of the pack. It's fantastic. Around mile seven or eight, things started to take a turn, um, a turn for the worse. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I feel it. I feel it in my body. I feel it in my legs. Mile marker 10, there's two miles left. I'm barely moving forward. I never want to run again. And if that's not bad enough, literally, here's what happens. A, a 92-year-old man passes me at mile marker 10, a 16-year-old. And I came in absolutely dead last in this race as everybody's cheering for me in pity as I come in and collapse why did this happen? I didn't prepare at all. I didn't prepare for this race. I thought I was good. I had ran before. So why would this be any different? Why do I share this story? Because essentially what we're doing, even as we're now in week three of this series and in this moment in our church is we're preparing. We're preparing for what God has for us. We're preparing individually, our hearts and our minds. We're seeking him as a church family. We're seeking him and we're preparing for what he has for us. We're looking to allow him to speak into our lives. 
to lead us in generosity and faith and to show us what part he has for each of us in this chapter in gospel movement. And a large piece of preparing is prioritizing what we're going to talk about today. Not in a condemning way, but more of a reminding way or an encouraging way as we look through this passage together. And I don't have to tell you this, but I will. You all know this. There are a hundred, if not a thousand things that are going to hit you tomorrow in this week that are competing for time and space in your life, that want to be the priority in your life. These hit us all the time. These are coming at you. Now, out of those, there are a lot of those that we can sort of put over here and say, okay, I know that shouldn't be a priority. I know this isn't a, a, a good priority. But what about the other things? What about the good things? Where should those fall in line? As we seek God today and we seek to open up really our hearts and our lives to what he has for us as individuals, but also a church, we get a really clear directive from him. Now, if you're just exploring the faith, he has something he wants to show you today. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he has something that he wants to speak into your life as he seeks to reorient our minds and hearts around him for our good, for the good of the people around you, for the good of our church, and ultimately for his glory. So let me pray for us, and then we'll walk through this passage together. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this word. I pray that you'd speak to us now in a very clear way. I pray that you'd meet every single one of us, no matter what we walked in with. Um, God, there's going to be a temptation. There's going to be a temptation to push back. There's going to be a temptation to tune out. There's going to be a temptation to already think about the things we have going on later today. I pray that you would keep that from happening. I pray that we would lock in with your word, which is living, active, good for us, and we would hear from you today in a powerful, tangible way that illuminates areas in our life that you are seeking to mold, to chip away, to rebuild. So Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, would you speak to us now through your word? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 38 here in Luke. Here's what it says. You heard it read. Thank you, Gerald. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Okay, who's they? Good question. Jesus and his disciples. Jesus began his earthly ministry, and they're traveling together. And they enter this village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, here's the thing. This is a big deal. Jesus is coming to your house for a meal. That's no small thing. I mean, this isn't some rando just coming and knocking on the door. This is Jesus. This is literally God who's taken flesh, wants to dine with you. And so this is when, and I have no idea where this is in our house, but I know we have it. This is where you're like, all right, we're finally going to use the china, right? We're going to pull it out. You're going to pull it out of those boxes, and we're going to actually serve the best. And this is a huge deal. Think of the biggest celebrity, the greatest, the, the biggest music icon, sports icon, whoever it is that you're like, oh, I'd love to meet them. And if they came, like, it would be phenomenal. That's Jesus here, right? Can't overemphasize this. And so as he comes in, it says, and she had a sister called Mary. So Mary and Martha living together in this home, Jesus comes in. And Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is a great question right off the bat. What kind of God invites you to come and sit with him. And not only that, what kind of God invites a woman to come and sit with him? Now, I need to provide some context because what I said sounded really, really rude. Um, 
during this time, women did not come and sit at the feet and learn from teachers. They were not seen at the same level as men, and so the women would learn from their husband or their father who would learn, and they would pass it down. But Mary comes, and she sits right at the feet of Jesus, which points out sort of what kind of God he is. It's, it's only a God that wants to intimately be intertwined in your life, who cares about the real you, your fears, your doubts, your anxieties, your joys, your hopes, your dreams, your disappointments, all of it, who wants to sit with you as you are where you are. As many scholars say, as Mary comes and sits at the feet of Jesus, she takes the position of a disciple, someone who wants to learn someone who wants to soak up everything Jesus has to offer. That's Mary. But Martha, it says in verse 40, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, I love this, and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come and help me. Now, Martha gets a bad rap a lot of times when this passage is preached or read and is like, oh, don't be like Martha. That's not the point here, right? The point is not to ultimately not be like Martha and to be like Mary. It's much bigger than that. It's deeper than that. But you can see Martha here, and for good reason. She's like, come on, Mary. Like, people are over here. I need some help. Come help me serve. Come help me prepare. Come help me do this. And she gets irritated to the point that she goes and she tells Jesus like, hey, tell Martha to come or tell Mary to come help me. She's so confused. She doesn't even know her own name. She's telling, yeah, tell Mary to get up and come help me, right? Now, it's easy to compare and contrast these two, as I said, but we really shouldn't do this. The more that I read this passage and the more that I study this text, I really believe that both sisters represent the restlessness of our hearts. Stay with me here. If you have a relationship with Jesus, there is a deep desire because the Holy Spirit indwells within you. There is a deep desire to want to sit at the feet of Jesus. There is now an innate desire to learn more from him, about him, be closely connected to him, for him to be that end all, be all in your life. But here's the thing. There's also a ton of distractions. I don't have to tell you that. We all know that. If we were on the set of Sesame Street today, this would be the word of the day, distraction. (laughs) That's what we see here. And this is what's happening in this tension in our lives, this desire, but also these distractions. It says she was distracted with what? With much serving. She's making sure that everything and everyone is taken care of. So what's wrong with that? Well, it's really interesting here. It says distracted, not Martha was focused on other things. It doesn't say she was working hard on other things. It says the word, which is intentional, distracted, meaning she was missing out on something. That's what it means. Now, when I was five or six years old, my family, we took a trip, a huge family trip to Orlando, Florida. Um, And we went to Disney World. And that wasn't a great experience for me, but that's for another day. We also went to NASA. If you've ever been to NASA Space Center, it's it's amazing, especially as a little kid. And NASA is also incredibly busy every single day. There are hundreds and thousands of people who come and they want to check things out. It's a tourist attraction. So I'm there with my parents in this large crowd. And I remember this distinctly because it was traumatizing. I'm standing right beside them. And there's this girl about my age, not too far away. And she's having a complete meltdown as kids do right? At NASA um, or Disney World, the most magical place on earth. 
she's having a meltdown. And I remember I'm watching her. I got distracted and I'm just watching her and I'm just like, oh my goodness, she's having a meltdown, right? And I'm watching her for maybe a minute. And, and I turn back to my parents and my parents are not there, right? Now they probably weren't any further away from me than that door, but as a little kid, I was like, now NASA's my permanent home. That immediately goes into your mind. Like, this is where I live now. My parents are gone, right? But there was this distance that was created as I got distracted between us. I don't know if you know uh, Newton's first law, but it says an object in motion stays in motion. It's the same with our lives and our hearts. As we can become distracted by things, it can create this distance between us and Jesus. And it happens so easily. And that's really the big idea for today is this, that even good things can cause us to miss out on the greatest thing. And again, this isn't meant to be condemning. It's meant to be a great reminder. It's actually for our good. It's because God loves us that he even shares this story, this occurrence with us. This reality that anything that comes between you and Jesus, anything that comes between you and what Jesus is calling you to is a distraction from the greatest thing, Jesus himself. Now, this doesn't mean that you should ignore, not care about, or neglect other things. So parents, this doesn't mean that you walk out of here today and you're like, hey, I heard that sermon. So kids, you're on your own now. Like, uh, you're distracting me, right? That's not what this means. But it means that everything, even these good things, find their right place underneath Jesus, right? It's that Jesus is put in his rightful place as the king of our life. He's this priority. And now everything else that's good, all of these relationships, all of these good desires, all of these good dreams, everything needs to find its place underneath Jesus. And as those good things find their place underneath Jesus, Jesus will actually speak into those things. He'll actually allow us to care better in our relationships for our kids, spouse, other areas in our life as he is allowed to speak in. But that's the whole idea here is everything finds its rightful place underneath Jesus. As hard as that sounds and as hard as that may be at times. Martha's heart wasn't in a bad place. She loved Jesus for sure. And you see throughout the gospel, Jesus loves her to death, her and Mary. But her priorities in this moment were off. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her. So Martha's like, hey, tell Mary to get up. Come help. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Another way to say it here is she was completely consumed by other things, competing priorities. Now let's bring this down to our life. Some of these can be brought on simply by busyness. We know this. The idea of always being on. The idea of schedules being packed, calendars being packed, saying yes to absolutely everything. We see our margin get smaller and smaller and smaller. We buy into this false idea that busyness means success, and it doesn't. We buy into this false idea that we can't say no to anything, and you can. But busyness becomes this insane distraction that keeps us from God, that keeps us from the people of God, that keeps us from seeing what God has for us. I probably shared this quote before, but I read it years ago in the Huffington Post. It says, we wear busyness around like this medal of honor when really we should be wearing it like a hospital bracelet because it consumes our lives and it keeps us from what's most important. 
Another thing is anxiety. Anxiety is a huge distraction. It's something we all wrestle with at times, some of us more than others, but we become anxious. We become anxious about maybe our security, and so we store up more and more money, and that becomes the main priority in life. We become anxious about our own stature, and so success becomes their priority, and I'm going to do everything I can and give all of my time to make sure that I see myself as successful and everyone else sees me as a success. Maybe it's the fear of failure, and so success becomes a priority. Maybe it's that stature piece and career becomes a priority. Maybe it's leaving a lasting legacy. And so our kids, even though we love them to death, become the ultimate priority and take the rightful place of Jesus. So many things. And there are other competing priorities. These things that consume our hearts, sit at a seat reserved for Jesus, dreams, desires, status, wealth, family relationships, in and of themselves, these might be good things. Even things that our society would say should be the main thing. Even people in your life would say that should be the main thing. But Jesus says something else because none of those things can carry the weight that only Jesus was intended to carry. None of those other things can speak in in the way that Jesus does and dictate your life and lead you in the right direction. Jesus has something to different, different to say out of kindness and not condemnation. Look at this last verse. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way. He says, one thing only is essential and Mary has chosen it. The main course. She wanted to sit desperately at the feet of Jesus and be close to the heart of God. And when you draw close to the heart of God, I believe he primarily shows us three things. He shows us just how much we need him, his kindness and his grace. He shows us how much he loves us. He really does. And he shows us how much he loves the people around us. These are the truths that God places in our heart to fight the anxiety, to push back on competing priorities that allow us to realign our lives, really him realigning our lives to the person and heart of Jesus. And when we do that, here's where he takes us. And I love this. Check out Matthew 6 really quickly. He says, therefore, Jesus, do not be anxious about anything saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek first me, if you seek first my kingdom, I'm going to take care of you on all of these other things. We can have confidence in that. Seek first his kingdom. That's really what this campaign is all about, this moment in our church. If you think it's just about a building, you're missing it. That's why this series that we're going through is called The Gospel Movement. That we're asking and seeking God to say, how would you have us here at One Fellowship make, a, make an impact for the kingdom? To reach not only just us in the here and now, but generations to come. How would you have us reach the city? How would you have us reach beyond Charleston? God, how would you have us to do that? That's really what this is about, is seeking him and seeking first his kingdom, not our own will, but his will. Can I tell you something? This building's already his. The city's already his. All the money in your bank account is his, whether you know it or not. He has every, <laughs> every means imaginable to take care of this. And we pray by his grace he does. But he also wants to use us. He wants to let us in on it. Not that he needs us, but it's actually because he loves us. 
And so we seek first. Can I just tell you, I absolutely believe this. This isn't some just random, random statement. There is no greater investment you can make than in the gospel. I believe that because only the gospel has the power to bring the dead back to life. And as a community of faith, there's no greater investment you can make than in this church. Why do I say that with absolute confidence? Because God has chosen and Jesus has chosen his bride, the church, to be the one that takes the gospels in and also move the gospel out. To see children, to see students, to see adults alike grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus and to see the gospel go wider into our schools, into your neighborhood, into your place of work here in Charleston and beyond as we make Jesus our greatest priority. Let me take a minute and invite you to watch this video with me. I see God making a difference in Charleston through one fellowship by the uh, home groups, the community groups that gather together and by the welcoming spirit in this church and by the teaching that we receive from the pastors, uh, we are growing, we're all growing in Christ, we're growing in community. And because of that, people are free and they go and they bring their neighbors, they go and they tell someone else. And that's really how the church grows in that we learn to become uh, disciplers of others. Um, Jesus calls us as converts. We come and disciples follow. So we follow Jesus, but then we go out, which is really what apostles do. We go out and bring others. And, and that to me is what we're called to do. Well, the fact that one fellowship is here is a symbol that God is still with us here in a time when our culture is turning in many different directions, going in many different directions. We're maintaining the integrity of the scriptures. We're maintaining the integrity of what the Lord has given us to do here in serving him uh, with the regular Sunday services, with all of the activities and the incredible work that's done with the children here. That is beyond anything we've seen elsewhere. And I think that distinguishes One Fellowship from what you might see from other places that we've been in over the years. I love that video because it really hits the heart of prioritizing Jesus and seeing the gospel go in and us grow and seeing the gospel go out. Now, one of the biggest distractions, I think, for us can be what's also probably consuming Martha's mind as she seeks to serve people well and as she seeks to take care of all of these things, causing this anxiety. And it's one of the biggest distractions in our life, too, and it comes in the form of two small words. What if? What if? Think about for Martha, what if not everybody served? What if everything's not ready? What if everything's not done the way that it's supposed to be done? What if, what if, what if? And the same thing happens in our life, time after time after time, day after day after day. These two little words that pull at us, that consume us, that keep us busy, that keep us distracted, 
What if this happens or that happens? What if this changes or that doesn't change? What if I need blank? What if we don't have enough of blank? And what if can be incredibly paralyzing and consuming, and it can also lead us to buy into the lie that I need to do more, be more, have more, keep more. So let me just ask, what if we pushed back on that and start asking some different questions? Like this. What if my future really is secure in Jesus? What if God's promises really are true? What if God's provision really is sufficient and it's greater than anything I could even provide for myself or my family? What if God really is good and wants good for me and he wants good for my kids and he wants good for those around me? What if God really is a kind father who loves his kids and I'm one of his kids? What if I really am his treasured possession as Deuteronomy 14.2 says? What if I really am seen now in Christ as a saint and not condemned as a sinner? What if the cross really did finish the work so now I can rest in Jesus? What if Jesus really did defeat sin and death so now I can actually have this new life? What if the Holy Spirit that's in me really is greater than any power in this world so now I can keep my eyes focused on Jesus knowing nothing can destroy me? What if the truest thing about me really is my identity as a beloved son or daughter? And not what they said I am or what this says I am or culture or my past says that I am. What if Jesus, what Jesus offers me and offers every single person on Daniel Island and North Charleston and West Ashley and John's Island on James Island and Mount Pleasant and beyond. What if that is better than what this world offers and all of its anxiety ridden, distraction filled rat race of trying to live up to the status quo to be the best, to gain the most, to do the most, impress the most. What if Jesus is worth so much more than what I've ever imagined? What if Jesus is worth so much more and his isn't an agenda of busyness and pain and anxiety, but that of love and compassion and grace? What if Jesus really is enough? And the beauty of these what ifs is that you can change that into what if you can say Jesus is and Jesus does. So what if we changed it and we started saying that, soaking that in? Allowing Jesus to have his rightful place as the king over our life and allow everything else to fall underneath that. So how do we respond to this? Well, I think there's three ways. The first is to identify, just to be honest and to be open and to say, okay, God, what are these, what are these false priorities in my life? Not to push back, not to be resistant, but to say, Okay, I, I know some of these, and if there's some that I don't know, God, would you show me? And here's an easy way to find some of those false priorities. Think about the things that if they were pulled from your life right now, you feel like would absolutely crush you. Those are some of those false priorities. What are some of these things that have taken the spot of Jesus and have become the end-all, be-all? Even if it's not all the time, it's at moments in our life to identify those things. And then this is this is an amazing opportunity we have. This is not condemnation. This is freedom to be able just to confess. We're going to do it here in a moment as a church corporately to be able to confess and say, Jesus, I confess that these have become the main things in my life. And a lot of them are good things, but they're not the greatest thing. And so Jesus, would, would you hear my confession? Would you allow me to repent, to stop pursuing these things as the end all be all and to come back to you, to turn to you 
and Jesus welcomes you with open arms. And then to seek, this opportunity to seek, to seek his leading in your life, to seek his leading in our community, to seek his leading in this moment of our church is we ask God, what do you have for us? To lay down certain things and pick up other things that will make an eternal lasting impact. Even good things can cause us to miss out on the greatest thing. The greatest thing being seeking Jesus and investing in his kingdom. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. God, would you take away all these lies of and just distractions of what if, and would you replace them with the truth and the promises of who you are and what you provide and how you care for us? God, would you remind us today of your goodness, your grace, your kindness? God, thank you for the way that you love both Mary and Martha, the way that you care for them both, the way that you understand their hearts in the same way that you understand ours. God, no matter what age we are today, no matter what we came in with, God, would you reprioritize our life to be centered on you, Jesus, and you alone, and would everything else come underneath that umbrella, the umbrella of your goodness, your love, your grace, your truth. God, for anyone that might be just investigating or curious about the faith or even resistant, might they just see your love so clearly displayed today? Jesus displayed in the finished work on the cross, the finished work that allows us to rest in you, to not have to just get busy doing. Because God is not in the business of hiring workers. God, you are in the business of adopting children. Would you adopt more kids into the family today? Would you let them lay down their sin, their waywardness, rebellion, their going their own way and and as you say, pick up, your, pick up your grace. You promise if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. And so would we just, for, for, for those who might not know you today, would they just confess and receive that new life in you? God, for all of us, would you lead us in what you have for us, whatever that may be, as a church family, this opportunity you've put before us in our individual lives, And thank you that you can be trusted and you're good to do so. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.